Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me, the podcast for parents of young children. And we want to share your stories and all those crazy, contradictory feelings that come with being a parent. We believe in you. You got this, even on the craziest of days. And you are most definitely not alone. Hey, listeners. The host of this podcast wants you to celebrate the messiness of life with kids. That means we don't need an expert to explain our kids to us. We just need to sit back so we can truly see, hear, and love our kids. My family has been lucky enough to attend B'nai Torah, where Karen's enthusiasm and joy for all aspects of parenting has been a breath of fresh air and always gives us hope that we can do it. Karen Deerwester believes that when we see, hear, and love the messy moments of life with kids, we're able to give our children everything they need. Karen has been a teacher, author, and a leader in early childhood education for decades. And there is nothing, nothing that doesn't make sense if we take time to connect with each child exactly where they are and right where we are with all of our messiness too. Here's today's podcast. Today's podcast is Cancer Hates Kisses, part two of When Parents Get Sick. I am so happy to be able to schedule part two of podcast episode number 150, When Parents Get Sick. The earlier podcasts changed me forever as I got to hear courageous stories of superhero parents who managed what most of us would say we could never. They did. And that bubble of never is forever shattered, not shattered in hopelessness, but in strength for all that goes unseen in our daily lives. They are not alone, and their stories will not be invisible. Tonight, I'm sitting at the square table with Jennifer Rosenberg and Janina Brandt, both cancer survivors with young children. Janina is also a psychologist with a clinical practice in Coral Springs who provides telehealth and concierge practice for postpartum patients. But I want to open with a book that Jennifer told me about by Jessica Reed Slowerski. The name of the book is Cancer Hates Kisses. The author's note describes this story as one where children learned their family member is not a victim of cancer. She or he is a strong, brave, and beautiful warrior who draws strength from loving support. Welcome, warrior moms. Jennifer, can you tell us a little about your journey from diagnosis to today? I sure can. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Um, I knew that this was a possibility for for me because we had difficulties getting pregnant. We went through IVF, and part of IVF is genetic testing. Through the genetic testing, I found out that I was BRCA positive, BRCA2 positive. And so for the last six years, I've been regularly having all of my diagnostic tests done, and I had always planned on a prophylactic double mastectomy to get rid of the risk. And I um, had my two kids, breastfed my two kids, and I was ready to get rid of the ladies. And I did all my research, got my doctors lined up, scheduled my surgery, and one month before my surgery, they found four tumors. How many years ago was that? This is um, a year ago. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A year and a half, June 2017, was my diagnosis. Wow. And we hit the ground running. Um, 
firstly, I think that I probably handled the news better than anyone in my family did. Um, I kind of knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. You know, you have that intuition. And not that I'm a negative person, because I'm really not. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, when my doctor called me and said, we need to, we need to recheck this, I knew it was going to be cancer. Mm -hmm. And when they told me it was going to be cancer, I knew I was going to have to have chemo. And I knew it was just going to be the worst. Um, and it was. And uh, How old were your boys? Uh, Sam was three and Elijah was two. Um, we talked about it with Sam because Sam is smart. And he's way too smart to not notice mommy's sick. And he's really smart. And when my hair fell out, I did not want him to not know why. Right. So uh, we told him. We didn't tell him that people die of cancer. We told him that mommy's sick and mommy has cancer and mommy has to take yucky medicine that's going to make her feel sick and mommy's hair is going to fall out. But come to Party City with me and let's go pick out a wig. <laughs> and so he picked out a long blue wig for me to wear <laughs> um, when my hair fell out. And he still asks me to wear it. And he, he he's an amazing kid. He... Um, he would pretend to be a doctor, and he would cut cancer out of his stuffed uh, animals. Yeah, yeah. And he would save his he would save his stuffed animals. He found power. He found an ability to look at it. Yes, and this book, Cancer Hate Kisses, we read it a lot, um, and it was really hard for me to get through the first few times. Um, and but he and he. Even still, he asks questions. Mm -hmm. Why do you have cancer? Do you still have cancer? Do you still have to take the medicine? As half the world still asks those questions of people that we love, who, yeah. we, who we wonder. And after, uh, after the first round of chemo, I got really sick. Um, I, was in, I was in bed for four days. I don't think I said a word in those four days. I didn't eat. I couldn't, couldn't move. And then I ended up in the hospital with a blood infection. And I think the hardest part about that was I went for a doctor's appointment and just didn't come home for five days. Mm -hmm. And so they both stopped pooping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, it's still something that I were struggling with. And um, just one of those things. It's those things that, that our bodies are transparent and kids' bodies are even more transparent. And, yes. And it helps us maybe to know what they might need or that they're struggling or that they're confused. And so as hard as it is, and, 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 and I think that's why I want the podcast for two reasons. One, I want the whole world to know that stop pretending everybody's lives are easy because mm -hmm. yeah. we all need to be there for each other and we need to be fearless in this supporting each other and not be afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or not be... I, we, I just want us to be there for lives that are, that, that are hard. Second, I want everybody to know that kids are amazing mm -hmm. and for the and, and that's the thing that we think we could never we do and and but but it's I mean I watched Elijah hold your face that will always be imprinted in my heart forever and so what I saw in your boys 
was this magnificent empathy, generosity, compassion. I know that they are changed, but not in a hurtful way from this experience. I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot that he used to do that. He used to take my wig off and hold my face Mm -hmm. and kiss my head and say, all better. Their love... And, 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 it's, and so what I, and when, you sh- when you told me that I needed to see this book, and when I looked at it online, it said, the first thing that a parent thinks of when they get sick is their kids. Mm-hmm. So that is also, there's just, and so I know when you're laying in bed for four days, incapacitated, it's not about you hurting, it's about how are my, how are my boys managing this? So this, this podcast is to give people hope and optimism that we are so much more resilient. And again, we're here today. We, I wanted this podcast looking back on you, looking back and going, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a superhero, mom, cancer survivor, and you're still facing struggles um, that are not finished and medicines that will be yuckier. Um, but let's open it to Janina. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, wherever you want to begin. Uh, my story. So my story begins um, actually with my pregnancy. Uh, I was pregnant with twin boys, my first pregnancy. and um, Like that wasn't enough. Like that wasn't enough. That was a shock in and of itself. And it was a really difficult pregnancy. I was on bed rest um, for a large part of it. There were numerous complications. And I was pregnant and I was in pain. I mean, I think all of us when we're pregnant, we're in pain. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, you know, a twin pregnancy. It's difficult. So everything hurt in my body. And any little pain I had, I didn't really pay too much attention to. I just figured, you know, this is part of pregnancy pains. Um, And thank God I delivered two healthy boys at 34 weeks. I held them in until 34. And a couple weeks after they were delivered, I started to experience tremendous pain in um, the left side of my hip area. And it got to a point where I couldn't walk anymore. It was actually, I'll never forget, it was their bris. We had to wait five weeks for their bris because they were so underweight. And on the day of their bris, I probably over, you know, just did too much that day. And I ended up not being able to walk. So went to the hospital, got an MRI to see what was going on. And I had a fractured sacrum, which is just odd. It's not a common injury to have after a pregnancy. Um, and unbeknownst to me, um, they found an incidental finding on that MRI as well, which was a little spot on my left femur. Well, that little spot ended up getting followed up on, and it ended up being a 17-centimeter tumor in my left femur. That was a complete incidental finding by chance, Um, and that tumor was then diagnosed as chondrosarcoma which is a uh, bone cancer, but it's actually in the cartilage, Um, but it's qualified as a bone cancer. And so that piece of news was communicated to me um, when Elan and Jonah were five months old. Um, Premature boys, first pregnancy, I'm breastfeeding, I'm just already dealing with you know, all the anxieties and the overwhelm of 
being a new mom with being a new mom coming off of bed rest my body was destroyed um you know when I look back I definitely probably had symptoms of postpartum anxiety um and then to top it all off I got some cancer sprinkled in there and um so (laughs) (laughs) we have to pause now I mean you um, I laugh now right but it's it's a laugh of shock I, I need because that that context of being a first-time mom with five-month-olds, I mean, when if you're in a class, in a regular family time class, you're overwhelmed anyway. You're yeah. juggling. You're, you, the, the transformation of your identity is enormous. Everything. Your family, it's, it's so chaotic and hormonal and that beautiful bubble of attachment how 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 do you incorporate how how do you where do you go with that that's a really good question i went into survival mode in that moment um we were living in new york at the time and uh, I was diagnosed by a surgeon at Sloan Kettering in New York. And his first comment to me, um, before he told me that I would live to see my children get married. Thank God. Um, he said to me, you're going to need to go where your support is. Okay. And my support was in Florida, and we were living in New York at the time. Um, two days later, I ended up in Florida with six suitcases and um, I basically... So then you just changed something else in your life. Yeah. We moved. Mm-hmm. My husband had to find a job that would, you know, work for us here in Florida. So we had a move. We had two new babies. <laughs> we had a fractured sacrum. We had um, a new job. We, we, we based an illness. I mean, we checked off all the lists. I think there's always, like, the, the, stress the, the stressors. Yeah, the top 100. Right, the yeah. top whatever. You had the top 10, 10. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I couldn't really think. And what would happen is that during the day, I remember acting like a robot, mm-hmm. just checking off lists. Um, I was completely fixated on my children. I remember packing a suitcase with just diapers because, you know, you can't find diapers in Florida. You can only <laughs> find them in New York. So I went into a robotic state. And I remember at night I would lay awake and just cry. Um, because I was scared. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I think the other thing I want to say to everybody out there is when you hit the I could nevers of life, you I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's that you can't process it all right away. No. And when you have young children and your focus is on them and your family and their future. And, and, and your marriage. Your marriage. That, that that means you also need a long, long time to take care of yourself through all of this. Yes. And as a mom, that's really difficult yeah. to take and care of yourself. Yeah, one of the hardest things. So Janina's five do. years into this. You're a, not a year and a half into this. How, how do you describe that process of how do you ever get to taking care of you? You have to. You have to. You have to make the decision that you need to do what you have to do. Because taking care of yourself in this situation, you're not really just taking care of yourself. 
Right. By taking care of yourself, you, you're taking, taking care, care of the future of your family. And, and when there's all those physical demands of care and, and healing, but you also have all these emotional demands. And, and, and moms, you know, we've talked about it before, but not in this context. It's, it's hard enough to be a mom, a parent. I mean, the regular day-to-day struggles, anxieties, fears... Guilt. Guilt. Sense of not being good enough. Yeah. Right? And then you tack on this disease, right? For me, um, I didn't have to undergo chemo, but I had to undergo a surgery that was... it, it felt like a pseudo amputation because I had to have my entire leg restructured. Um, and I couldn't walk. So I lost my capacity to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my capacity to care for my children, to hold them, to rock them, Explain to sleep. Explain those adaptations. I mean, I have, I, mean uh, I have no point of reference, but I had a mom once who had a crawler and a broken arm. Yeah. And she was like, she's came into class sobbing. And I was like, no, no, we're going to show him what you can do for him. You can do this. You just can't do what he, what you think you must do. So how do you still stay mom giving them, meeting their needs? Because I know needs. both of you have met your children's needs in a magnificent mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to we, we're coming we'll come to, back to that. we're going to come and help you know that you have. Mm. But go ahead. You you've seen the you've seen the resilience. You've seen them. And I still struggle with the wishes of I wish I could have done it differently. Or you know, there's always this this dream of mine of having another child, which I I can't. I mean, I can, but I can't. My body can't do it. Um, so that I could do it over. Because when I see pictures of them as infants, I still get angry. I don't feel that happiness and that joy um, and that nostalgia when I see pictures of them as infants. I, I get feel it. anger. And I'm work that's the Thank part you for that I'm saying processing. It. I mean, luckily you know how important it is to articulate that. And again, what I think is so valuable is no matter who you are in in this world, life is unfair. Yeah. And whenever you cannot be the mother, especially that you dreamt that you would be, whatever that perfectness meant, there is loss and grief. Yes. And, and But it's everyone has to take that journey. You just have to take it at the most extreme intensity so that the clarity of that journey can, can really inspire us all to know you take a journey for all of us. Yeah. And okay, so I made so my adjustments, right? How? I was, how, I was, how? What was that process? So <laughs> I was in a wheelchair for about four months, unable to move really. And then I went to a walker. And then when I could use a walker, I bought a granny bag. And I put that <laughs> granny bag on that walker and I worked it. I would put their bottles in there and I would put their, you know, their pacifiers in there. And I couldn't put my leg down for about eight months. I couldn't put my left leg down. So I'd use the walker and I'd hop around the house. Um, But at least I was able to bring them the bottle if they needed it or go from their room to my room and maneuver. And so I just, I rocked my, my granny bag. 
and I made these, you know, my husband bought me one. I finally was able to start exercising. I've had four surgeries, one every year. After my second surgery, I hope so. My last one wasn't supposed to happen. That was a surprise. (laughs) Hopefully there won't be any more surprises, but... I remembered after my second surgery, I was finally able to start moving my leg a little bit more and putting pressure on it, and he bought me a hot pink tricycle. (laughs) And so I worked the tricycle, and we would go out as a family with a tricycle, and that was the only activity that I could do physically. Okay, so because I'm the educator at the table, my question is, how did your boys perceive that? You know, we know the children create the reality create a normal reality from 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 what they see. So while you're feeling, you know, sadness and anger that you weren't there there in the way you imagined yourself to be there, I'm picturing these boys growing up thinking my mom rocks it with with a walker. My mom's got wheels. You know whatever it is, my mom's got a blue wig. My mom is different, but she's mine. Yeah. So what might you, and, and, I'll, and so let me ask Janina, and then I'll ask you, Jen, that perception of, of because their feelings, and, and this is a big step for parents and parenting, is the children think and feel separately than us. Once mm-hmm. they become their own people, you know, when they're when, up until those, that toddler age, you, you know, they feel what you feel. You're feeling their feelings with that oneness of attachment. But then they're like, no, mine, I'm different than you. So they looked at you differently than you looked at yourself. But it wasn't negative. And it now wasn't I at know all. That. It wasn't. I mean, there are things that hurt and sting. For example, you know, when other moms, I would be around them and they would start running with their children. I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't move quite quickly. And so, you know, when it got to the point where I was able to move a little bit and other moms would start running and they'd ask me to run, I would always have to say, I can't. I can't. And so the I can'ts were many. Um, but eventually they just would say to someone, my mommy can't run because she has a boo-boo on her leg, right? It wasn't bad. Yeah, it's just what it is. It was just what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Kids just, you know, they said what it was. And a couple months ago we went to the beach and my husband went snorkeling with my kids and and I was able to go into the water with them. And the two of them were so happy. And my son said, this is something you can do with me. Because it was, we were buoyant, right? And so these little remarks mean he's been watching and he's been paying attention, um, but he's been accepting of it and not judgmental of it. And because I'm shifting a little bit from anger at times, I still feel it tremendously at others. Those are the moments where I choose to let go of the anger a little bit and just sit with the acceptance. And because I, because you are here at the table as a professional, I'm going to return to mom <laughs> anger only because women anger is such a good topic. <laughs> um, Jen, tell me how your boys saw you. Did they see you with fear? Did they see you with confusion, with doubt? Did they feel see you... I don't think they ever saw fear because once I I got over that initial, holy shit, I'm going to die, and I realized that that was not uh, a feeling that was rooted in reality, that was just, 
I mean, normal fear. fear. Mm -hmm. Once I got over that, um, my fear was gone. My sadness was probably palpable to them um, that I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do all the time. Because even, you know, between chemo sessions, I mean, it took me Mm -hmm. two weeks to feel like myself. And then I had one week that I felt like myself before the next round of chemo. But even in that one week, like I couldn't be outside. I couldn't couldn't get hot. It's not, no, it's not. So how'd you manage that? How'd you manage the ebb and flow? We got really comfortable with PBS kids. They have very good programming. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we did a lot of stuff indoors and Koala Crate is excellent. It's a crafting subscription box. Okay. Um, and Elijah didn't. Elijah never talked about it. He, I think, he was too little to really get what was going on. Apart from my hair falling out mm-hmm. and him kissing my head. I mean, I think that they just took it for what it was. They don't know any different. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't. Ha- they didn't have another mom to compare it to. So, I mean, I don't think that they were. I don't think they ever felt like they were missing out on anything. Absolutely not. Um, I f- know what they were missing out on, so I grieve that. I and I still do. I mean, I think you know we're dealing with some sensory issues with Sam because he's we just found out that he's got some uh, vestibular mm-hmm. integration issues. That the OTs of the world are just changing everything. <laughs> I, I, I always say, if I could go back to school, I would go for OT. That whole <laughs> idea. amazing. To me, what they know about body, brain connections is, is just astounding. And he'll get what he needs. He'll get what he needs. Yeah. But I, I should have been able, I wish that I was able to do more at home with him. He's a quiet guy, too. He is a quiet guy. He might have just loved having that slow ascension oh, he, he into... he loves laying in bed with he me. He does. Yeah. He loves he's laying in bed guy. with me. Yes, he's definitely. A, he's a, he loves those close spaces. Yes, he does. And I, I think for the kids it was fine. Um, for Ben, my husband, that was one of... That was, that was the hardest part for me it was even it was even harder than having to deal with being a mom and having cancer was my guilt for doing it to my family my husband my mom my sister watching Ben descend into madness and anxiety because I got sick was the hardest thing and I I used to tell him I'm sorry all the time. And I would cry looking at him because, I mean, he he broke. Sure. It broke him. We did really well going through IVF, and we were very supportive, and we cried to each other. Um, but this was this was different. Like, I think... How this, scary was it I for mean, him? I mean, it was so scary for him. He's a worrier to begin with, mm-hmm. and he's a little bit more on the pessimistic side. And so I can't even imagine the thoughts that were going through his head because if I was thinking that I was going to die, in his head I was already dead. Yeah. So watching him break broke me. Um, And I don't think I'll ever get over that guilt. Well, um, 
I'm, I'm not here as the, the psychologist. We have one at the table, <laughs> luckily. But what I do know, what, what I want to say, at least for, these are now your stories. Yeah. And the story is going to keep getting written. It evolves. And you get to keep talking about the story. The story that you tell your children and the way your children tell that story. You know, I, I really believe in collecting stories as kids grow. And so you get to have, a, and you get to have a different one with Ben than you have with the boys, you know. But it's, it will be your story together. And I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like whatever you shared Again, will has to will is accepted in whatever way it is, and and he'll communicate what he can communicate about it, and you'll share. What you yeah, feel I mean, about I think it. we have we have a different relationship now. Yeah, and that's also hard. That's a hard pill to swallow because a lot of our relationship now, or I mean, for the last year and a half, he was less my husband and more my caretaker, and for me. That's yeah. not who I am. And it's not going to be am, forever. But it it's not forever. the story, right? That's not where the story ends. No, it's not. But yeah. go ahead. So, Janina, go ahead and, and talk I, about it's, it's, just I, that whole family dynamic. Everybody's I had affected. something similar as well, and I shared it with Jen um, right when we first met privately. Um, my husband ended up in the emergency room a co- uh, two months after my first surgery, um, because of stomach issues that were coming up for him. And, you know, the level of stress destroyed him. Um, and it took our marriage into a complete tailspin. Um, I felt like I, was, I wasn't a mother. I felt like I wasn't a wife. You know, you already, we talked about identity. When you become a mother, there is a sense of loss of a certain identity and, and, and a hope for one that you wish for and maybe, you know, doesn't realize. Mine certainly didn't. Um, but my entire sense of marriage and sense of self in that relationship went away. Gone. Gone. Completely gone. Um, and it took a lot of talking and a lot of communication and a lot of work on my part, right, with acceptance um, and understanding of where he was coming from and uh, a compassionate stance towards me and and why I was behaving in certain ways. Um, And it led to a lot of conversations between him and I I went to my own therapy. I needed it terribly um, to be able to just reorganize myself and forgive myself. Because, you know, talking about the anger that I have towards the cancer and what it did to me and what it did to the story that I wish I had, it, it also did it to my family. Um, and I had to just... Forgive it. Forgive it. And try to look at it in a completely different way and try to just create a new narrative for myself. And I'm not going to say it's been easy. I'm still working on it. But I'm, f- I'm five years, right? I just, I'm, I'm going to reach five years in December. Um, you know, I've had hurdles along the way, and I'm, I still have a tremendous way to go in terms of my healing. But 
I think I'm, I'm starting to slowly forgive the cancer. And, and for everybody that's listening, I think the other thing I want to say is, you know, when we, when we say you're not in this alone, everybody has to know that, that we're there to support the whole, wherever you connect to a family, whether it's to the children, to the spouse, to the parents of the adult person who's sick, there's so much. So it can't just be like, oh, just that person needs help. Right. You know, it's this idea of we want this to be visible and in the light for all, for everyone to see the hard parts of life. The entire system yeah. breaks yeah. down. Everything. Everything breaks down. Okay, so I want to take a minute on anger, and and then I want to go to what I think you're talking about right here, and that is how you, I know you don't let it define you, because you said that to me from the very beginning. This is my narrative. I'm taking control. It will not define me. And yet, you're living that story all the time. So a quick word on anger. (laughs) Women and anger. Oh, God. How not to be afraid (laughs) of of that of that big emotion that we think. Uh, I mean, I think that when you start to be afraid of it and when you start to shy away from it, that's when stuff starts getting really bad. Um, but I think, you know, being okay with anger and being comfortable with it, I mean, I can go on with this forever, but I mean, it starts from... We could do a whole podcast just on yeah, emotions, Yeah, it could be a whole sure. podcast on emotions, but... I think one of the most important things is just tolerating it, being okay with it, being able to name it, and being able to recognize it. Um, you know, for a while, like going back to the images of my children, for a while, I would, people say this is like a terrible thing that I did, but I don't think so. I would put, I have pictures of my children all over my bedroom as babies. And people would ask me, why do you do that? Why do you do that to yourself? Because when I look at them, I, I would suffer. Um, and I, my response was, I do it because it's part of my process. I need, I need to figure out why I am so upset with it. Why can I not just look at this picture and think of the beautiful moment that I took this picture? Why is everything defined by my cancer? There's a picture of the two of them, and I think to myself, that two days before that, I got the call from my doctor. Three days after that, I was told that I had chondrosarcoma. My timeline mm-hmm. is according to my cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, the day is going to come when I look at that picture and I think, what a beaut- that was Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I took that picture Thanksgiving and I remember the music that was playing in the background. Thank you for sharing that. Only because there is all of that um, helpful um, support that says um, we don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, and and we may never. <laughs> so whoever you know, when those sources, I mean, thank goodness that you were able to to stand in what you wanted and needed at that moment, and still, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you you should go through the process this way, a certain way. Absolutely. Doesn't define you. No. No. A lot of no cancer does it's 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 part of my it's part of my story right mm-hmm. now but it's not going to be part of my story forever hopefully, and so no it it won't define me I won't allow that, but I mean I totally agree with 
with Janina and saying that you need to be able to name it and confront your your feelings because if it, anger is just as important as joy mm-hmm. as your favorite movie yes. inside out i mean you need to know i just recommended that to so many people. you can my favorite movie you ever. can't appreciate the good things and your good feelings if you don't get comfortable with the bad feelings and cancer brings the bad feelings and I will say, I mean, the reason these podcasts happen, Jen, was because you spent that year with us. You spent that year walking boldly and bravely into that classroom with a child in tow. And sometimes you looked magnificent. And we were like, wow, she's rocking the world today. Some days she didn't look so great, you know. <laughs> but every time you told us where you were, what was going on, you allowed us to share your story with everybody else. You embraced the support. You embraced all that discomfort, all of that publicness of a very personal, personal experience. And you and you shared that experience with your boys that was honest and true and and really true you know that cape, mom with the cape with the superhero you were her and you are I don't her feel that way i'm but, still uncomfortable but with that's that. mm-hmm. you know as we're talking about all the things that you lost and you couldn't have what i saw because i i knew a little bit about your journey I just want you to know that you you put it into words, you named it, you 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 defied it, and you embraced it all at the same time. So, thank you for showing us how to take this journey. Oh, you're um, welcome. Or to, to <laughs> um, we have to wrap. Um, the question is always the same. Um, and if you want to talk about superhero mom and bravery and courage, um, or just how you've got this. At this moment in time, um, being a mom, a parent, and a family that's had to go through the unthinkable. You have to have a village. You cannot do it alone. And, you know, that phrase, it takes a village. I always knew what it meant. I understood it. But I truly did not get it until I was diagnosed with cancer and... I, I mean, the support, not just of my family, but of my community, my neighbors, my children's teachers, mm-hmm. the synagogue, the Chabad. I mean, everyone came with food and everyone came with a kind word or a flower. So I've got this because I've got other people and I've got a support system. And I mean, I hope that anyone out there that's going through this also has a support system and allows that support system to work because yes. that was one of the most difficult things yeah. is accepting help. Mm-hmm. It was very, very hard. Yeah. I echo everything that Jen has spoken. I was blessed to have um, a number of people in my life um, supporting me and my husband and, and helping me raise my children. If I hadn't had that, I mean, the first thing, what did I say the doctor said to me? The first thing he said to me was, you need to go where the support is. So so the next question, as you're telling me that, is, so do you think this is a place you'll stay? Did it bring you to a place that 
um, that is your new home, or was it the home that for the where you'd have the support at this stage of your family? Oh God, um, you don't have to know. Of I course. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But for the time being, this is where you know I grew up in in Aventura. That's where my mom was, okay. um, and I knew that that's where my, my mom and dad were, and I needed to be with my mom and dad. Um, that was the level of support he was saying I needed. Um, and, and they definitely both stood up to the part, but yeah, we needed a village of support Mm -hmm. and had I not gotten it, I don't think I would have, um, I don't think I would have made it I'd still be struggling and trying to create my narrative. And from your professional hat, um... Anything you want us all to know that we don't get right? Oh, God. (sighs) Don't be afraid of going up to someone who's struggling and just checking in with them. Um, I had a lot of people shy away from me when I got sick. Um... And I don't blame them. Again, I've come to forgive. I think it was too difficult for them, and they just didn't know what to say. And they didn't know how. And just to anyone listening to this who's wondering, you know, how can I reach out to that person? Because every single one of us now can name a number of people that are close to us that have been affected by cancer. Just pick up the phone and say hi. Hi. How are you doing? There's nothing wrong or right. Just be present for them. That's it. Thank you both so very much. Thank you. We're back. (laughs) Janina and Jen thought of something else that they want to capture in the final summary of the conversation. Okay, so um, I felt like I needed to say one last little nugget of insight, um, which is don't be afraid of talking to your kids. Um, I see this not only from uh, personal conversations that I have with friends when they call and ask me for advice, but I also see it with my patients and in my clinical work. We always want to tiptoe around our kids. We always want to try to keep something from them. Um, We want to, if they ask us, Mommy, are you okay? And we say, no, everything's okay. Or they hear Mommy and Daddy arguing a little bit and they ask, what are you arguing about? You know, our initial reaction sometimes is to say, nothing, everything's okay. And what we don't realize is that by not sharing and not being honest with them, we're completely invalidating their experience. And we are opening up an opportunity for them to come up with really scary conclusions. Or ones that don't fit the reality. Completely yeah. off. Like, and, and so, go ahead, Jen. You wanted to add. Don't assume that they don't understand. Don't assume they don't understand. And, and, or they and can't understand. Or that they can't understand. They can. so don't when underestimate you said them. When the mic was off, in a developmental way, how, what do you know about the different levels that they've processed this? And they've been able to understand things that seemed impossible to understand. So Sam, I don't think he ever had the fear that mommy was going to die because I didn't tell him that sometimes people with cancer die. But he did understand that I was sick. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't scary for him when Ben had to shave my head and all my hair fell out. Mm -hmm. You know, if he woke up one morning and I had no hair and we didn't tell him why how scary is that for a kid and when mom's in bed and 
Mom can't get out of bed. Mom can't make dinner or breakfast or put you to bed. That's scary. They need and to know why. And even if they ask about death, you can answer that too. Absolutely. Oh. And, and so what I want to say is that as the educator and the developmental person is what I know is if you are moderately thoughtful about <laughs> what you say, because you may not get it right, children have a way of taking what makes sense to them. Correct. And then they're going to make that somehow transparent for you to interact with that. Oh, and they're so going to ask questions. They're going to ask questions. You don't have to should. know all the perfect things to say before you have the conversation. You just have to know, I think this is where my child is, where what I feel is my truth that I can articulate here and now, and and grow from that. You don't have to have this perfect answer, but there are resources out there Absolutely. that are also magnificent that can help you find your words before you know your own words. And get cancer books for get kids. Get the cancer books for <laughs> There's kids. There's a lot of them And out read there. them yourself. I say that on the, on the podcast about talking to children about death. Before you even engage in that conversation, read the kids' books so that you know, oh, no, no, don't want to say it that way. Yes, yes, that feels comfortable. Find the words that, that are true for you and the reality that is true for you and, and, and meet your kids there. Okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> And one more thought that has to be a quotable, whether it's to your child or to a friend's child. Jen. You can't catch cancer. Because Sam asked. Sam asked. He asked me if I could if he could catch cancer from me. Makes so much sense. And it's an important question to ask and answer. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> so that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at, at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore FamilyTime. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week.